Good morning to everybody. So if you've been here at our chapel throughout the summer, you know that we're talking about the heart of Paul. And uh, when our brother Paul approached me about talking about the heart of Paul in scope of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I thought that it was um, a pretty challenging theme. The way he pitched it to me was the following. Paul must have been an amazing person to be with. We've heard brothers and sisters say this. He must have been a very warm-hearted person, someone who we all would really like to get to know. Yet, I'm reading through the New Testament, and I get to verses like Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, and I'll just read it so that you guys get an idea what's going on. Um, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. And what Paul's talking about here is Jewish people that converted to Christianism and that were urging people to be circumcised. And uh, depending on your translation, you might even have the word, they should go as far as to castrate themselves. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. If Paul's such a great guy and such a lovable guy, yet we see him having this type of attitude, does it really add up? And the great thing is, as we go into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll see that it does. We'll see that even though Paul is a very controversial man, he's a man with very strong integrity, and he's a man that really believes and exercises his faith to an extreme, he's also a very loving and caring person. And this morning, we would like to take a look at that. So if you can open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll start reading on the first verse. I'm in Timothy, not the Thessalonians. That's not good. <laughs> so Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just, that is with, just as it is with you that we, we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toiled night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the authority but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good, 
And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is signed in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, as uh, we look into Scripture this morning and as we consider the heart of Paul, may we see him as an example of someone who is spiritually mature and that someone that we can try to emulate as he emulated Christ as well. Lord, and as we, we go through this passage once more in a slower fashion, really seeing the heart of Paul through it, Lord, allow it to speak to our hearts in a practical way. And like always, Lord, if there's something that we have to change, point it out to us. Give us the courage to acknowledge it and also give us the, the courage to press on and to change that, Lord, whether it be us as an individual or us as a church. So, Lord, we just want to thank and ask all of this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul opens up this chapter with, um, with a prayer request. Four things I want to talk about this morning, sorry, for those of you taking note, will be the first thing is Paul's prayer request and his vulnerability, how he allows himself to be vulnerable. Second is Paul's encouraging words. Third is Paul's example. And fourth is Paul's caring advice. So for those of you taking notes, once more, Paul's prayer request and vulnerability, Paul's encouragement, Paul's example, and Paul's caring and loving advice. We see here, right in the beginning, Paul's asking for success in his future missions as he goes out and he continues to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, preach the good news. And we also see that he prays for protection from ungodly and unfaithful people. Now, this might seem kind of normal to a lot of people that are used to the church living, but at the same time, for others, it might be very difficult to put yourself out there because what Paul is doing is he's being vulnerable in a sense. He's telling the people one of his worries, one of his concerns. Hey, I'm worried for the unfaithful, for the people that do not have faith. I'm worried about the people that are ungodly and what they might do to us. So please pray that we may be successful, but pray that we may be protected as well. You see, in our walk, in our Christian walk, the Lord has us live as a community, as a church. And prayer is kind of the glue that binds everything together. When we ask someone for prayers, we're allowing them to be a part of our life, to be a part of our struggles, but also to be a part of our victories. We put ourselves in a vulnerable state. And a lot of times when we do share prayer requests, we know that they're very personal, right? Some of them very sensitive. For me, this was challenging just because of the background I had. Growing up in the churches in Portugal, a lot of times we would go to a church elder or someone and ask them to pray for us. And what they would do is they would use that information against us. And they would try to manipulate people with this. But it's interesting how Paul, even as a grown Christian, as a mature Christian, still seeks the right people to pray for him. And that's something that I personally had to come to terms with very recently. And Nicole and I, we went through something a couple of weeks ago that really shook us to our core. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but it was very, very hard. The only way that we were able to get through this was reaching out to brothers and sisters in Christ, putting our hearts out there 
showing them exactly what we were going through and asking for pray, prayer. And we pray together and we're getting through it. Praise the Lord. If you guys are afraid, maybe you're here, maybe you're in the same boat as I might have been or Nicole might have been, or maybe you don't trust some of the people in the church. I'm just going to say that's okay. Find someone who you can trust. Find someone who you know is a loving person, a God-fearing person, and ask them to pray. Share your life with that person. Because that's what being in community is all about. It's being a part of one another's struggles. It's helping each other bear the burdens on a daily basis. But it's also being a part of each other's victories. And together, we praise God. And together, we grow into, into spiritual maturity, as our brother Ellen Wilkes talked about two weeks ago. The second point is Paul's encouragement. And that can be seen in verses 3 to 5. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Paul here talks about his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and how he sees how God is working in the life of these believers. But he takes this one step further and he gives a compliment to the believers once more here at Thessalonica. He says, not only do we trust in the Lord to work faithfully through you, but we trust in you. We're confident in you that you are going to do the things that we have taught you and the things that we're still going to teach you. You guys will continue doing them. This was a huge shock for me because I'm not sure maybe many people can relate to this. I grew up in a church culture where the idea was if someone is doing something good, you don't say anything because they're doing a good job. They're just doing their job. You're supposed to be receiving praise from the Lord Jesus Christ one day when they get up to heaven. They have to wait that long, right? So the only time you would go out and talk to somebody is if they do something wrong. Well, I've seen the fruit of that. And a lot of churches have closed because of that. Because youth that come up to try to do something are criticized and they're put down. And they feel like they're not a part anymore of the church. Even though they do amazing things, sometimes they may mess up on one or two things, but no one encouraged them and now they're not around. And it's funny because they would use the excuse, well, back in my day, this is how we did things, right? No one needed an attaboy to continue working. But what we forget is before their day, or before even your day, the apostles did this. Don't believe me? Go back to the beginning of this book, chapter 1. So in chapter 1, I have it here noted, verses 3 to 6, or three to five, actually, we see this. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, and it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in, in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Once more, Paul is complimenting these Christians. He's encouraging them. He's saying, you guys are on the right track. Carry on. Are we doing this as a church? Are we going out of our way to, whenever we see somebody do something great, just say, hey, thank you for doing that. We appreciate that. Something happened this summer during VBS where there was a child who, during the barbecue, had an amazing attitude. Uh, this child was trying to get all the littler ones grouped together 
to play safely in the bouncy house. And he was being very, very caring and very loving the way he did it. And he tried to include everybody. And I thought this was great. Fast forward to the week of VBS, and he still has this attitude where he's trying to bring the kids together. He's trying to, to encourage the kids to, to be one a part of, of the group and just to have fun in a safe and caring way. So I, I took him aside. I said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And he freaked out. His first reaction was literally, what did I do now? <laughs> Isn't it sad that that's the reaction that we all kind of have when someone comes up to us like, hey, can you spare a minute? Like, what did I do? Was it something I did? Did I forget to do something? Was it something I said? Or was it something I didn't say? It's, you go through all these, these things in your mind and you're not really sure. But I just encouraged him. I said, look, look I saw what you did. I just want you to know that these kids see you as a, a leader of sorts and that you're bringing them together and you're be, being an example to them. And I just want you to carry on, keep it up because I see what you're doing and I really appreciate that. And it's amazing that sometimes just a small word can make a huge difference in somebody's life. Just the fact that we acknowledge the work that someone is doing can, can have them continue to press on. For those of us that have served and continue to serve the Lord, we know sometimes it's not easy. There come days that we just, we, it's hard, it's rough. We feel a little bit sad and a little depressed even because we, we're like, oh, things could have been so much better or we feel like we didn't do a good enough job. But then someone comes up to us and they say, hey, we were challenged by what you said or we really appreciate what you did. And sometimes that's just enough push and drive to have this person continue to do what they are doing. And here in the chapel, we have quite a few of them. I mean, let's think about it. We have our elders that work diligently behind the scenes. A lot of us don't know what they're doing, which is a good thing. That means that there isn't hideous things happening here in the church that it's known to everybody. But I know they're working hard to maintain the growth and the peace here in the chapel. We have people that have signed up for summer Sunday school. Thank you. Because we know you're taking time out of your, out of your week to prepare to be downstairs with the little ones, which is not easy for those of you that have done it because sometimes they're just climbing on the, around the walls and you just have to try to catch them and keep them in their seats. It's, it's a lot of fun though. But thank you because you're putting in time and service. For those of you that go downstairs and prepare the coffee between meetings, thank you. For the ladies that do the Bible study the Thursday morning, thank you. For everyone that does Sunday, summer school or Sunday school throughout the year, for the youth group leaders, for the kids' club leaders, thank you. Because we look around at the church we have, we look at the people that we have here, and we're all still here because someone is doing something. Just thank you. And I feel like as a church, it's wholesome that we continue to do this. I know for some of us, for some of us, that's not what we grew up into. I know for some of us, it's counterproductive to what we were taught, but this is what the Bible teaches. Christ himself, if you guys fast forward to Revelations, you see he writes letters to churches, right? Certain letters, he calls them out for bad things that they have been doing, but for others, he praises them. He says that you guys have been doing a great job, that you guys are diligent, even though all of you are dying because you're being persecuted to the point of death, but you're maintaining faithful. And you even have Christ himself encouraging Christians. Mind-blowing, I know. Let's go out of our way to when we see something, even if it's an attitude of a small child or someone as old as an elder, 
Just appreciate what they did and let them know. Yes, they will receive their glory up in heaven. Yes, they will receive what God has prepared for them. But our words of affirmation can make it so that they continue to walk firm, that they are reminded that the job that they are doing is not in vain and that we love them. All this is good and all, and we start to see the heart of Paul, right? Vulnerability, very encouraging and loving. Now we're going to see the example because, well, the church in Thessalonica actually had a problem. It wasn't a perfect church. Go figure, right? There's no perfect churches because everyone in the church is imperfect. So there are no perfect churches. Only one day when we get up to heaven. And this church is no difference. But before we look at the problem, I'd like to look at the example that Paul sets for them. And we can see that in... Um, I forgot to take down the note for that. <laughs> we can see that from verses 6 onward. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, not according to the tradition which you received from us. And we'll see what this tradition was shortly. For you yourselves know how, how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you, not because we did not have the authority but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. There might be a lot of confusing words here, and the way that Paul normally writes, there's a lot of run-on sentences, and sometimes they're hard to follow. But the big issue is Paul's reminding how he was an example, and other apostles were an example, to the believers here in Thessalonica. He's saying, listen, as an apostle, it's my right to demand a payment. It's my right to demand food, shelter, just the min bare minimum for the service that we are giving to you. But Paul, to be a better example, he decides to grab his privileges and his rights and he throws them out the window. And he does this for what? So that he can be a better example to the believers in Thessalonica. And what's interesting is if we look at Paul's attitude, it's very similar to the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? Jesus Christ is God incarnate. A lot of us believe that. A lot of us that are here this morning, we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, so we understand that Jesus Christ, being God, one day was up in heaven, being served by angels, which should be an amazing thing, right? But he saw our status and our status as human beings, sinful human beings that are cast away from God because God cannot have fellowship with sinful people. And he said, I'm going to put aside my right as God. I'm going to put aside my privilege as the creator and come into world history, come into mankind as a human being to serve them. Look at the ministry of Christ. It's all service. He heals people. He feeds people. He forgives them of their sins. And you would think that his end would be a great end, right? Because he was such a great guy. No. He dies on the cross. He's crucified like a petty criminal. Why? Because he was different. Because he was making waves in the status quo. That's at least what humanity thought. But he knew that that was the only way that people can start to have fellowship with God once more through his sacrifice and his resurrection. So that whoever believes that he came, he died on the cross for our sins, and he is resurrected with the Father, would be saved. Paul is emulating Christ even here. 
where he can be a burden, where he can demand things from people, he decides to say, no, I want to be an example to you. So what I will do is the following. I'll work a full-time job and still be a full-time minister so that you guys see my example, so that you guys can't say that we came here to take advantage of you, but that we loved you and we served you in this way. Are there things that we take as privileges and as God-given rights that maybe if we gave up, we may reach out to more people? I know it's a very hard question to ask, but it's a very deep one to consider as well. Are there things in our life that we see as privileges, that we see as our rights, that maybe if we were to give them up for a little bit, that we can get more people for Christ? That maybe we can be a better example to the people that surround us, our coworkers, our family, our friends, or maybe even to others in the church that might be struggling with certain aspects in their life. And finally, we come to Paul's caring advice and the big problem that the church in Thessalonica was having. We read this starting in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them, that they may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. To give, shed some light on what was happening in Thessalonica, there were two groups of people uh, that Paul's kind of calling out here. There are the people that some translations have them as idle, and then there were the busybodies. And I'd like to make a distinction of these two people. So to better understand what this idleness looked like, I'm going to give you guys an example. Um, what if I were to throw out a sales pitch to everyone here? If you're working, and you're a Christian, and you believe you're a Christian, why don't we quit our jobs? So let's, um, let's grab our cell phones, let's text our boss saying, we quit. If you're self-employed, just tell yourself you're quit. It's fine, Okay. After you quit, let's do this. Every day, we'll meet up here in the church. And what we'll do is we'll do the Lord's Supper every day, and we'll sing every day, and we'll open up our Bible, and we'll study every day. This sounds great, right? Why, why are we doing this? Well, let me tell you why we're doing this. We, we've all been watching the news, right? We all know that things do not look good. And as we read through Revelations and as we read through, through the Bible, Old Testament and New, we see everything is pointing back to what? Christ's coming. So let's just not work because Christ's around the corner. Let's, let's make up all of our time. Let's use up all of our time to just worship God. What do you guys think? Does it sound great? <laughs> Some are like, fantastic. Some are just shaking their head like, no. And for those of you that decide not to, to quit your job, that's great. You can support us financially. <laughs> now things don't sound too good now. <laughs> but that's what was happening here at this church. So one group of people, they saw the second coming of Christ in such a way that they stopped their whole life for it. And Paul's saying, okay, I get you guys are growing in faith, and I get that you guys are excited for the second coming of Christ, but you still have to continue to, living, to live out your life. You still have to work. There's still some things that you have to do. 
Yes, worshiping God is good, but taking it to this extreme is not. Because then you're being a burden as well on the church. And this is where Paul's calling once more to his example. I could have done that, but I chose not to. But there's another group of people, the busybodies, as in some translations. There were people that were coming to church, and they simply were coming to create problems. They were coming to gossip. They were coming to, well, not grow, really bring people down. And it's funny because some people would say, well, we're looking at the heart of Paul. We've been looking at the heart of Paul throughout the summer. And yet, up until this point in this chapter, we see that he's very encouraging and caring. But he says, well, if someone acts this way, stop talking to them. Don't, don't sit with them. Don't fellowship with them. And that might sound kind of aggressive, right? It's kind of a, a serious stance to take. But I'd like to remind everybody here that Paul has already talked about this problem in his first epistle. So if you turn back to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9 to verse 12, says this, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. See, Paul had to take a more serious stand the second time he writes because the first time didn't pay attention. So don't think that Paul just comes out of the gate shooting from the hip, right? That he comes in a very aggressive manner. No. The first time, as you guys can see, he was actually very calm and loving about it. But since this issue continued, he says, well, we have to take care of it in a certain way. So we're going to hit him kind of where it hurts. In this time, someone's honor being accepted by other people was a very important thing in their culture. So when people were being ostracized from little groups of taking part of, of the Lord's Supper, it was like a shock to them. Hey, uh, why am I being left out this week? Or why am I being left out today? And the whole idea with this type of attitude isn't to shun them away. It's just to get their attention that they are doing something wrong with one thing in mind, to bring them back. When Paul says this, he does not say it to completely say, well, if that brother is living in sin or if that brother or sister is not living the right way, then you just shun them and you ignore them. No. He goes on to say here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, do not treat them as enemy, but admonish them as brothers. Right? Call them out as to what they're doing. And if you have to, if it gets to this point where they don't listen to you, then maybe don't, don't hang out with them as much. Just try to translate it in simpler words so that they can see that, hey, maybe the attitude I'm having is not correct. Maybe I'm being a burden instead of a blessing. Maybe I'm living in sin instead of doing what God wants me to. And the whole idea is so that they can come back to the church and to the fellowship, so that they can be restored, so that they can be giving a good testimony and being a good example, not just to the people in the church, but more importantly, those that have not heard about Christ. 
And even here we see Paul's heart. Is he stern? Is he very solid in his beliefs? Yes. But at the same time, he's loving. He addresses issues head on. He doesn't tiptoe around them, but he likes to see the results too. So as we take a step back and just review everything that we've seen so far in this chapter, we see that, yes, throughout the life of Paul, there were times that he was extremely aggressive. There are times that he had to take a very firm and hard stance in certain topics. But that's because they've gotten out of hand. If we really stop to take a look at Paul's life, we see how an amazing person he was. We see the fruit of a grown, mature Christian. Someone who has a heart sensitive to God's will and what God wants us to do, but also to the people that are around him. He allows himself to be vulnerable. He shares his wants, his desires, and his challenges with the church so that they can pray for him. Let us do the same as well. He goes out of his way whenever he can to encourage the believers to either continue doing something that they are doing or to seek after something that would be so good for them. And he doesn't belittle them. Let us do that as well. We see that he led by example. Are we being examples? Are we being examples here in our congregation? Are we being examples outside when we go to work, when we go to school, when we're with our coworkers or our friends or even our family? Can people look at us and see he is a Christian because of how he lives his life and not just what he believes in? And finally, how do we deal with problems here in the church? We should be very loving and careful not to alienate our brothers and sisters in Christ, not to shun them and put them aside, we should deal with situations here in the church in a very loving way to bring them back into fellowship and in communion with God. With all that being said, I just want to leave the final words of Paul with everybody here. The grace of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, just are so thankful, Lord, that we have your word. It's, it's just amazing to see that through Scripture, you don't pull your, your punches, so to speak. You show people for who they are, all the good and all the bad. And Lord, it's just amazing to see that we have people like Paul who are mature spiritual Christians and who loved you and your words so much and the service that they did. And Lord, we just pray that as we continue to think about how they lived their life, that we can be encouraged to do the same. Lord, Allow us to find brothers and sisters in whom we can trust, that we can share part of our life with, that we can ask them for prayer and reach out to them. Father, we, we pray that as a church, we may encourage one another to do good works, just like we read in Hebrews 10.24, because we know that that strengthens us as a body of believers. God, we pray that we may be examples here at Terrell Road, but also out into the world. And finally, Lord, when problems do arise at the church, we pray for the wisdom to be able to deal with them in a very loving, in a very real manner. So we just want to thank and ask all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.